Today we'll be discussing the Netflix docu-series Beckham, and we'll be discussing polycystic ovarian syndrome, also known as PCOS. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, Ali and I will be discussing the Netflix docuseries Beckham. And based on a listener suggestion, we'll also discuss polycystic ovarian syndrome, also known as PCOS. So how are these two subjects connected? Well, I'll tell you, the listener, when they sent in an email a little while ago, they said, oh, you know, you should talk about PCOS. A lot of famous people have it. And they listed a bunch of celebrities, one of them, Victoria Beckham, the wife of David Beckham. And so we thought, oh, that would be a good topic to pair with this docuseries. It was generating a lot of buzz over the past few months. So we thought that's what we would do, right, Ali? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we thought we would do. You know, it's really what you thought you would do, and I appreciate it, because you connect with listeners and then, you know, remember things. I've remembered a couple things in my life. Mm, Not such many. As? No. Mm, nothing comes to mind right now. Of course. Okay, Ali, so let's get started with this discussion about this docuseries, Beckham. Before we get started with that, though, what was your familiarity with David Beckham before you watched this? I used to lay in bed at night and touch myself thinking about him. Is that what you mean, Asif? And the fact that you didn't bothers me very much. No, he's one of the absolute greats. He, for whatever reason, he reminded me of Wayne Gretzky in the sense that he didn't look too threatening and then he just turned it on. And especially his free kicks were something to behold. Now, you know, you couldn't watch soccer easily in the 90s and 2000s in Canada. At least I don't believe you could. I don't know where people were doing this. You had to go to places where it would be, play would be playing. I always watched the World Cup. I always watched the FA Cup for people who don't know what those are. Every four years, the World Cup is played, the greatest soccer playing countries in the world, allegedly. And then every four years, the greatest teams in Europe play and it's staggered by two years. So that's where I would see David Beckham pretty much always, you know, for the period that he was, was playing soccer. And then of course I was a, you know, sports highlight guy. That was my big thing. Come home, watch sports highlight. I didn't have uh, too much of a life back then. So I watched a lot of TV back in those days. Yeah. Didn't have a life back then. Yeah, yeah. No offense to anyone who watches a lot of TV now, I'm Which sure. would be me. So yes. it's interesting. So I, of course, you know, people probably have figured this out. Though we don't talk about sports very much on this show for a very specific reason. I don't know a lot about sports. And so I knew about David Beckham because he was involved with, you know, his wife, Victoria, who was Posh Spice. I guess she still is Posh Spice. And so you kind of heard about this, the celebrity couple. They'd be in all the... TV shows, tabloids, etc. So that's where I kind of heard about him and Posh and Bex and all this stuff that was, you know, it really was a huge thing. They were the couple back in the early part of the 2000s. So that's really where I heard about it. I knew he was a good player. And of course, we can't not talk about David Beckham if we don't talk about Bend It Like Beckham, which is... I was going to ask you, did you, you knew David Beckham prior to yeah. this movie? Yeah. 
I knew his name, and then, you know, and of course in the movie, you guys haven't seen this movie, a great movie, so fun, about this young uh, Indian uh, English soccer player who wants to kind of make it to the big leagues, and uh, is influenced by David Beckham, and great movie, so that's when I kind of was more exposed to him, that was around 2005, probably or so, early 2000s, that movie came out, so... Yeah, that was about it, though. So I didn't really know a lot about him. I certainly didn't know anything about his soccer career, other than I remember when he went to LA Galaxy, that was a huge thing. And I remember making the news everywhere. And that's about it. It's very funny because that's when David Beckham actually fell off my radar somehow. Mm. This has to do with my personal life more mm-hmm. than uh, any judgment of MLS soccer. But I just wasn't you know, as connected to, I don't know, soccer or sports or the outer world. I don't know what happened, but as soon as he started with the LA Galaxy, and I remember that, that signing, I had completely forgotten reading back about it, you know, that he signed a five-year contract. That was definitely not something I remembered. I thought it was one year in my mind, and and, and, and that's where everything sort of fades a little bit. I was enjoying my life. And I do think that his signing with LA Galaxy is one of the reasons why MLS soccer is so big now compared to how it was. Like, nobody cared about it in the early 2000s. Like, it was nothing. Like, and now it is a big deal, you know? Like, people go and attend these games, and they're quite big. So I think he had a lot to do with it, personally. Again, that's from, I'm a complete outsider, but just from what I've seen over time, like, everybody talks about MLS now, and nobody was talking about it. Yeah, he played a huge role in selling that sport. So I, I I think it was a big strategic strategic move and it made a lot of sense at the time for the LA Galaxy even though it cost a lot of money but anyway that's that's basically you know mine and Ali's background in terms of of David Beckham and so it was interesting I did want to see this you know as uh, Ali and I have kind of implied on other episodes of the show our kids are very into soccer and our our wives watch a lot of sports as well so you know soccer is always on in my house basically so i've kind of learned more about soccer as time has gone on still don't quite understand all the rules but so you can't pick up the ball Mm. this is where your daughter turns off the podcast (laughs) and delete unsubscribe so the background of the doc is very interesting ali didn't you find in terms of like the motivation to make this? Yeah. I mean, I did like reading. So first of all, let's say it's directed by Fisher Stevens. His real name, Asif? It's not Fisher Steven? It's Stephen Fisher. Anyway, I'm not sure. Is it really? It really is. I'm not sure what the flippity flop is about, but Fisher Stevens is one of those guys I'm willing to bet that you have seen him. You know this person. You may not have, you know, equated the name with the face. It's very funny when Asif said, hey, this was directed by Fisher Stevens. The first thing I said was Hugo from Succession, because, you know, my, that's how my mind works. You know, last in, first out. I don't know what the thing is, but like, I just watched Succession a few months ago. Yeah. But in fact, Fisher Stevens would be known to Asif and I and people of our skin color, <laughs> not everyone, but certainly many of us remember him because he was in Brownface in Short Circuit. And I don't even know if that affected me in any way at the time, but certainly over the last decade, that has been a conversation as we talk about Brownface, you know, different from Blackface. We talk about actual, you know, brown people's face short circuit and his role uh, his character in short circuit comes up fully brown faced and also doing a, a an accent that wasn't super strong 
Yeah, did you watch some clips of it? I I actually have never seen Short Circuit. We talked about Short Circuit before. It's because of Who's Johnny, that song by Elder Barge. That's a great song, man. You can't can't deny it. But I've never actually watched the movie, so I watched some clips of Fisher Stevens. I'm like, yeah, yep, brown face, yep, accent, yep. It's racist. But you know what? Back then, as Oli and I have talked about before, check out one of our old episodes from the archives, a very popular episode that we did, literally, about the problem with Apu and the documentary that was made. You know, to me, I'm like, uh, you know what? We had some representation. <laughs> I know it was a white person representing, but, you know, if that's all you get, you're like, sure, I'll take that. Totally. Totally. And that speaks to how little there was out there for us, right? And and if you, you meet people, you know, 10, 15 years younger than us, they will not look at things that way. They will certainly be like, this is completely disrespectful. But when we saw the Apus of the world or classic Birdie Num Num, when you saw Peter mm-hmm. Sellers at the party, you did feel like, hey, somebody's thinking about our people. That's ridiculous, but that's a fact. Yeah, again, and we're brown and we're saying that, so whatever. I don't know, you could disagree with that, but that's what Ali and I think, and we came to these conclusions independently. So anyway, getting back to Fisher Stevens. So it's interesting. He's a big soccer fan, but I guess he was not a big David Beckham fan. He didn't really know a lot about him because he started getting into soccer in 2003, and he was, you know, really, as Ali was, more interested in was going on in Europe. So he didn't really pay attention to MLS, and so he, you know, by the time Beckham was you know, doing all this stuff in the U.S., Fisher Stevens was kind of more interested in European work. And so it's interesting how Fisher Stevens was approached. So if, actually, if we back up even more, David Beckham, he had the idea to do this docuseries. And he was looking for a director. So the reason why he was trying to do it is very interesting. And I think he was influenced by a very big recent docuseries that was also, I believe, on Netflix. Ali, that would have been? The one that my son found boring, the Michael Jordan, The Last Dance. Last Dance, yeah. Yeah. As soon as I started watching this back, I'm like, this is very similar to The Last Dance. The Last Dance is very specific because it's looking at a specific run, a specific time in the Bulls' playing history. But this is kind of the whole career of David Beckham. So it's a bit different, but you could tell it's very influenced by this. So David Beckham wanted to do it. It's very interesting. I guess him and Fisher Stevens had met to talk about it. And when he was explaining it to Fisher Stevens, Beckham said, you know, he wants to do this because there's lots of unauthorized documentaries being made and documentaries being made without the participation of the main players. And he's like, I'd rather have some control over this. We'll talk about that control in in, in a second because I think Ali has some thoughts on that. But how did Fisher Stevens' name get, you know, brought up? It was actually brought up by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is friends with David Beckham. David Beckham is friends with all these famous people, Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. In fact, if you watch the documentary, you'll see, like, when he started with the LA Galaxy, Tom Cruise and Will Smith threw a party for him. You know that they were trying to totally get him into Scientology, eh? Like, that was, like, easily the thing. They're like, oh, we need a sports Fresh guy. Meat. Uh, yeah. So, and Fisher Stevens at first said no. He's like, why would I want to do this? I don't know who David Beckham is. Like, I like soccer. I love soccer, but it's not, I don't really know anything about him. But they actually thought that it would be better to have someone outside of Europe and England do the Yeah, I mean, the idea, what you just said is very funny. You just said, I don't know David Beckham. There was a thing that the son, <laughs> the son if you, you know, in the documentary, they go looking around the world for anyone who does not know who David Beckham is. And you just put two pieces. So they found this shepherd in Chad, yeah. in sub-Saharan Africa, I believe Chad is. And now you're saying Fisher Stevens was the other guy, which I believe is false. But yes, he didn't 
care for him at the very least. They didn't know enough about him to do a documentary on him, I think is what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. And Fisher Stevens, you're probably wondering why is he, we just mentioned he's an actor. So what is he doing directing documentaries? Well, that's actually what he's been doing most of the time. He does do acting, as Ali said, in succession most recently. But he's worked with DiCaprio before in a movie called Before the Flood. And in fact, Fisher Stevens won an Academy Award as a producer on the film The Cove. You guys might have heard about that. That was about 15 years ago. It's about a dolphin killing, basically, in Japan in this particular cove. And dolphins are captured to be sold to places like SeaWorld. And it's, they also kill them. And they had to, like, sneak in secret cameras. And they had a camera disguised as a rock and stuff. So it was... Uh, and so that won the Oscar, I think, in 2009. So, you know, definitely Fisher Stevens is a documentarian. He does a lot of stuff on... Not really on sports. He does more on environmental causes, as you can imagine from his association with DiCaprio. So... But DiCaprio said, you got to meet with Fisher Stevens. And so it ended up working out because, again, Fisher Stevens thought he could tell an interesting story and he didn't feel super close to the material as someone, say, from the UK would have been. So that's how it worked. Interestingly, he hired a editor because, you know, they say documentaries are made in the editing bay named Michael Hart. He did Three Identical Strangers. Have you ever seen that documentary, Ali? No. That's a great documentary. In fact, the less you know about that documentary, other than the title, the better. He also did Don't F With Cats, which, you know, have you heard about that one? Don't F With Cats? So Don't F With Cats is about Luca Magnata, the serial killer from Canada. Like, I think everybody who's Canadian knows about this psychopath. So, and of course, he posted videos of him killing cats. And that's actually what got people, you know, to try and figure yes. out who he was, right? And him getting caught. And so those two, again, I haven't seen Don't F With Cats because the material, I think, is a bit tough for me to watch. But Three Identical Strangers, it's just a propulsive kind of always moving forward, almost like an action kind of movie. And he brought this style to Beckham. The other thing he does, Ali, which I'm very curious about, and he says he did this on purpose. There's a lot of him talking, like Fisher Stevens talking. You hear his voice asking questions and people responding. And he says he did that on purpose because he wanted to be asking kind of simple questions that the audience might be asking. I think he especially met an audience member like me who doesn't mm. know about any of this history. He's like, well, why did you do that? What? So he was kind of playing the dumb filmmaker. Like, I don't know anything about, well, why'd you do that? You know? And what do you think of that, that kind of method that he used? It felt overly simplistic at certain yeah. times. Yeah. Like it didn't feel like great interviewing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, sometimes yeah. Beckham goes, yeah, it was crazy. And then Fisher's team goes, yeah, it must've been crazy. Right. Yeah, he just said that, dude. He just said it was crazy. You don't have to also... I don't know. I mean, it felt overly simplistic at times. But, you know, one thing I have to mention is, putting all that aside, the important thing for me before watching this, important meaning the, the important thing to my enjoyment, was the fact that Fisher Stevens has said publicly that David Beckham had no... He had no say in the final edit. Not a Yeah, final so no say. final cut. No final cut. Even though David Beckham is a producer on it. So when pushed about this, Fisher Stevens says, you know, he insisted on that. He says, there's no way you're getting final cut. That It's my docuseries. And Fisher Stevens, I guess, there was some many things that David Beckham asked him to cut out that he did not. He said, no, I'm keeping it in. 
There were a few things that he said he did cut out. And if you read between the lines, he said it's because, you know, David Beckham emphasized, you know, it's not just him and Victoria. They have a family. They have these kids. And and when you watch the document, this is a slight spoiler for the documentary. They do talk about David Beckham's alleged affair that he had. But they cut it up in a very strange way where they don't really talk about the affair or whether he did something or not. But clearly, they basically had to go to therapy and they were having all these meetings. So why would you have to do that if it was just allegations from tabloids, right? You would just kind of shrug it off like every other allegation. Mm. You know, too posh to push is what they said, right? When she had her first C-section, you know? Everybody, right, did right, people right. remember that? Like that, I totally remember that everybody was saying she had a C-section because she didn't want to push. So Yeah, I mean, for me, my thoughts immediately, and I don't know if your mind went there, because I didn't know if he was, you know, he was ever actually caught. There's no... It's not suggested. You said they're allegations, right? So nobody says he was having an affair. He was alleged to have had an affair. But based on the paparazzi that followed him, I mean, this guy could fart in a basement of a mansion and they would have it on audio. Like, there's nothing he could do without paparazzi catching it, right? They're looking through his windows. They're looking, so, so where are the pictures of this affair? Like, where could he have possibly gone shy of like a dungeon in the bottom of a castle to have this affair if it's not, if there's no pictures of it? They were insane. And in, 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 in many ways, this documentary is a searing not indictment, but it's a pretty searing look at paparazzi and how disgusting yeah. they are. There's two people who come off really bad, two groups who come off really bad in this documentary. One is the paparazzi, two is the entire country of England. Yeah, for the way they treated Beckham after his red card in the World Cup, which, again, if you don't know what we're talking about, then you should watch the documentary and find out what we're talking about. So just to put a bow on the stuff with the affair, I do think that is the material that was left out. I don't think him or Victoria wanted to be on the record saying that he had an affair. This is my opinion, especially because their kids, their kids are relatively young. They're in their late teens, early 20s. So I think you know, they didn't want that, which I, I think Fisher Stevens was reasonable in kind of taking that out and taking some of that stuff out of the documentary. So that's what I think happened. I think that's what they're referring to because it's the only part of the documentary that doesn't really flow that well. And there's lots of unanswered questions. And I think that's basically it. But I agree with you. I think, well... Anybody else you think doesn't come off that well? I have some thoughts on this on the in the documentary. I know that some people would think that David Beckham's father may not come mm. off uh, too well. I don't think, you know, look, we live in a time of great softness, you know, and some people will think he was abusive. I, I don't think, I didn't get that. I think he was very hard and very strict to the point that David Beckham even said about a certain coach, he was very strict and I like that. And you see one of his colleagues say, you know, one of his teammates say, that coach, I did not like his approach at all. I don't like, I don't, I want to be left alone. Let me do my thing. So David Beckham, you know, valued that sort of strictness and discipline. And that's what his father gave him in spades. Now, do you want to create the greatest footballer of all time or one of the top 10 footballers, the greatest footballer of, of, of a generation in a country? You need to have some some strictness and some discipline. And and yes, there are people who'd call that abuse. I would certainly not. Yeah, I think, you know, he'd make him practice corner kick after corner kick after corner kick. And he would never give him praise. It's always, you know, you could be doing better. He did and, all right was yes, the best thing. You that's could right. Do so even when he did amazing. So, you know, my wife and I were talking a bit about this during the documentary. 
people are going to watch this and be, some people are going to say it's cruel, or some people are going to say, yeah, that's how you do it. That's how you make a champion. You know what? Probably both of those statements are correct and neither is correct. It probably depends on the child. I think for David Beckham, who yes. has this natural ability, by the time he was 12 or 13, he was being scouted. He was clearly a prodigy. And for him and his personality, I think this is what what drove him. And he was appropriate for him. It's probably not going to be appropriate for everyone. So it just- No, no, you follow you know that model and the odds are hugely in, in favor of your child dropping out of sports. And hating you. And hating you. <laughs> yes, I forgot about the hating you part. 70% of kids, we talked about sports injuries. We talked about repetitive strain injuries in a recent episode. 70% mm -hmm. of children will drop out of sports between, you know, before the age of 13. That's for no reason at all. That's just like, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm, That's because mm -hmm. they just want to hang out with friends or something. You know what I mean? Like most of them don't need the reasons that, you know, their, their father was a certain way, but yeah, he was, there was, there was a method to his madness, I guess. And and David just kind of like, there was a, a catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, Russell Martin, great catcher, not sort of a hall of famer, but, but fantastic. And he would talk about like, man, my dad was like, we'd go out there, we'd hit balls or he'd throw balls to me. And then he'd go, kid, dad, can we go in now? And he'd be like, oh, I guess you're not serious about baseball. No, I am serious about baseball. Okay. Cause other kids are still practicing, but you want to go home. And he, you know, he was like, it was getting dark. It was like. It was getting dangerous. Like I was going to get a ball mm -hmm, in the face mm -hmm. at this point. And so you can also be like, God, that's so abusive. But, you know, kids don't seem to think so. And the results don't seem to think so. But yeah, I, I think it's very valid to mention that that is very kid dependent. And odds are that it's not going to work. I'm curious what you think about how Victoria comes off in this documentary. I have thoughts. Yeah, this is not a spoiler because, although, listen, at this point we've spoiled everything. You should have just paused this and gone and watched the doc if you wanted to. But there's a video that was floating around on social media. It's a great clip and it actually, it serves a great promo purpose. Like, you know, if you're into that, you're definitely going to watch this all of a sudden. And then the documentary wasn't really about that. But for promo purposes to watch Victoria Beckham talk about, you know, David and I were both working class, both come from working class backgrounds. And it was hard. And then he pokes his head out of the door and goes, no, be honest, be honest. What? I am being, no, be honest. What car did your father pick you up in from school? She goes, yes. Okay. Sometimes he did come pick me up in a Rolls Royce. It's like, okay, this is, so you get the feeling like, wait, is this going to be about their marriage? Is this going to be about her trying to rewrite something? And I mean, the, the proof was sort of there in the footage, like what she was subject to and going through, you know, some of the stuff was particularly awful and, you know, death threats coming to her, to her children because her husband got a red card in a game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand, you know, England, unlike any other, you know, South American nation, you know, even some of the Asian nations are like... Soccer becomes sort of religion, you know, and so you've really sinned at the highest, highest order. You're like the Pope and you've done something horrific to a child, basically is what you've done. You've ruined things for everybody and no one was understanding of what he did. And that's, that's fine, but many people took it way too far. And so she was subject to that, but 
you feel like she didn't come off looking that good in this talk? No, I think, yeah, as I implied, I think she comes off as a bit clueless. And clueless in a way, I don't mean she's stupid at all. Like, that's not what I mean. But clueless especially about football and the importance of football and the importance of David's, you know, dedication to it. So, you know, the biggest thing that comes up in the documentary is she told him that she was pregnant with her first child the night before one of the most important games. And things did not go ideally in the next game. So it's like you wouldn't think to maybe wait on that. In the documentary, it's implied that she actually literally did not think about that until Fisher Stevens asked her in the documentary. Yeah, well, her thing was like, this is what we wanted. This is what David and I wanted. And he was elated. He was super happy. So it doesn't, you know, in her defense, it's not like I've been given three weeks to live, right? That's not what it is. We're having a baby. He's excited. And yes, he probably wants to see his wife now, but he wanted to see her all the time anyway. He would drive hours to see her for 20 minutes. You know, they both talk. Yeah, I think there's a bit of willful ignorance on her. At least that's the way she's portrayed in the documentary. And I I don't think she necessarily comes across that well, personally. And it's certainly, I think one of the theories in this documentary is that a lot of the times where he messed up majorly in football matches was because of something going on in his personal life with her. I think it's pretty clear that Fisher Stevens is trying to say that. Well, he's certainly, he's interviewed Beckham's longest coach, Sir Alex Ferguson, Fergie. And, you know, that guy is, he was knighted because of his coaching. That's why he's a sir. Mm -hmm. It's like his soccer earned him a knighthood. One of the greatest living coaches of all time. And, you know, he was very clear about everything changed once he got married. And so, yeah, the football fans and Asif Doja would rather... A footballer was lonely and completely like had no, no social life outside. No, I'm just saying this is this is one of the soccer. this is one of the tenets of this documentary. So you can agree with it or disagree with it. But that's what I think. But let's go overall, big picture, Ali. What did you think about the documentary overall and your impression of David Beckham after watching this? I found it enjoyable. I also like this guy and I love watching soccer from that era. I was so excited to see that Real Madrid team. That's some mm-hmm. of my favorite soccer players of my life. The most beautiful, graceful soccer player is a guy named Zinedine Zidane. You know, left the game of soccer in shame after a headbutt. The headbutt heard around the world, returned as a coach and I think it's he's all but forgiven. But, you know, seeing him on the team with Beckham and you know, he didn't get to see a lot of I hardly got to see any Real Madrid teams. I just had to imagine what it looked like with Roberto Carlos and Rodrigo and Figo and Zidane and Beckham on the same team. It's insanity. It's such a stacked. I mean, it's they are. It's like the New York Yankees vibe, right? You just buy everybody, buy everybody and win. But the beauty of that is that that formula still doesn't always work. You cannot buy a winning team for an extended period of time. But anyway, there's things about this documentary that I enjoyed beyond Fisher Stevens, you know, directorial choices and beyond Beckham's personal life. But overall, I found it pretty enjoyable. I mean, if you like soccer in the least bit, I think you'd really like this documentary, yeah. Yeah, and as people know, because I just said it a few minutes ago, I'm not that into soccer, and I thought this was very, very well done. I really enjoyed watching this. This was really fun. Like I said, I think it's very 
propulsive. It just keeps moving forward. I think the last episode is a bit, they cram a lot of stuff into a very short period, like probably like, you know, almost 20 years into a very short period of time. So that's a bit much. It probably should have been six episodes and they leave out a lot of things, which Fisher Stevens said he did film, but he just left it out. You know, why is David Beckham not knighted? There's a whole controversy about why that's the case. He was also the spokesperson for the World Cup in Qatar. But of course, you know, there was lots of controversy about that in terms of just it taking place in Qatar, the treatment of foreign workers, the treatment of homosexuality. So there are things that he did include that he left out, but I think he was trying to streamline this. And really, I think David Beckham comes off extremely well. I, like I said, I didn't know anything about him, but I think he's just a genuinely good person who just happens to be an excellent football player and, you know, is very devoted to his family. But there is this obsessive compulsiveness to him, right? And it comes out a bit on it. You just got to open one closet and you go, okay, he may he maybe want to see somebody about that. But again, like, he's harming nobody with that. And he's very, you know, I think Sir Alex Ferguson goes as far to say it, like, you need that sort of discipline, commitment, and stubbornness, and sort of, it kind of fits with his personality. And the same thing why as soon as he retired from soccer, he immediately went to Miami and to start working with the MLS team there. So I think he's an obsessive person who is constantly moving forward, cannot sit still. And that's to his credit, to his success. But like I said, I don't think he comes off badly at all. No, the greatest soccer players have nothing but the most incredible things to say about him, yeah, right? exactly. Whereas yeah. sometimes you do have this tension on a team, like, oh, we're both going to be playing and we're both superstars and how is there going to be room for both of us? He's going to take the shine away from me. But to hear Ronaldo and Figo and even some of these great, you know, great British footballers yeah, Keane, talk yeah. about him, Roy Keane, I mean, it's... I don't know. I love that. I was like, okay, good. I was part of me, and I don't know what this says about me, but part of me was worried is this going to be an expose from his teammates going like, he was a diva? He kind of sucked all the air out of the room. And he's actually quite a humble, down to earth dude. He just liked money. And he loved soccer. Yeah, I got the impression just because he did all the fashion stuff and he was on he was on the covers of magazines throughout the late 90s and early 2000s. Like, people have no idea he didn't live back then. Like, that's, again, how I knew about him. I thought he was going to be a superficial, vain, kind of fame-hungry person. He does not come across like that. And, you know, we talked about the last dance at the beginning. I mean, Michael Jordan, you know, greatest basketball player of all time to many. He is a bit of a jerk, and I think we can all kind of agree on that. He didn't come uh, off that well in that, yeah. No, and David Beckham did it, and a lot of the things Ali was just saying uh, kind of reinforced that. So, yeah, bottom line is I definitely suggest people check this out, even if they're not a fan of soccer. I think you really enjoy it. All right, so we're going to talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, as you mentioned, which is connected to Victoria Beckham, but she never mentions it in this documentary. And you said that one of our listeners was saying that it's something that many famous people have, which to me suggests that many people have it. Yeah, exactly. Just we know about it because of famous people talking about it publicly. So can we talk about what it is and how many people 
you know, yeah, population for sure. have it. Because of the word ovarian, I assume this is a female. It is very good. You're on yeah, the right okay. track. Yeah, yeah, lots of people who've come out with it. I'll link to an article, but in addition to Victoria Beckham, Leah Michelle, Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley, by the way, in a movie with Ali's friend Dave Marhej mm-hmm. coming out soon. Al King. And so there are quite a few people who have this. So it is very common. It affects about 7% of women. So pretty common when you think about it. So what is it? It's basically an endocrine disorder, so a hormonal disorder. And basically what happens is you do get cysts on your ovaries, but not everybody gets this. So cysts is like a fluid-filled collection. And it's not the underlying cause of this disorder. It can be a symptom in some people. So what happens is you get three main things. You have abnormalities with your ovulation, okay, and your periods. You can have infertility kind of related to that. And then you can develop a lot of symptoms caused by androgen excess. So you have a problem with parts of your brain, your hypothalamus and your pituitary and your ovaries, and this hormonal kind of axis that we have, you have problems with this. And you end up essentially with excess androgen. So androgen is like testosterone and male sex hormones, okay? So that's going to cause some other symptoms as well. So you can get acne and you can get what's called hirsutism. Have you heard of hirsutism before, Ali? Well, I, I know when, when a man is described as hirsute, it suggests manly, but it usually means hairy, I think. Yeah, exactly. So women can develop male patterns of hairiness, and they can actually get male pattern balding as well when they have this androgen excess. The other thing is it's also associated with obesity and it can be associated with diabetes. So 40% of patients with PCOS develop insulin resistance and diabetes, and it's independent of body weight. So it's a big risk factor for diabetes if you have this PCOS. Okay, so we know what it is. I ask this very reluctantly for fear of the answer angering me. Do we know why women get this? <laughs> no, we, no we, just, we don't. Didn't see that one coming. So they don't actually know. They know there's this abnormality in this axis. So hypothalamic, pituitary, ovarian axis, this hormonal axis in your body. But we don't know what causes it. There is a genetic component. They've done some twin studies and they find increased incidence in twins. So it could be that. But we don't know exactly. It can often start off in your teenage years with just menstrual irregularities. So it could be subtle. But then maybe you'd see some of these male androgen type features, again, some hair on the upper lip, on the chest, and then maybe this hair loss or alopecia, right? I mean, listen, what you just described are hardly red flags. None of that sounds like anything out of the ordinary. If you've, you know, known women and lived with women throughout your life, you know, hair on the upper lip and chin, that doesn't seem to be... Yeah, no, exactly. And sometimes just infertility. So you're trying to get pregnant, you can't get pregnant, and then you can do some investigations and this leads to this. Another thing that people can get with the obesity is sleep apnea, right? So that's another possibility in these patients. So if you had weight gain that you can't account for, if you had menstrual irregularities, 
these are two things that would make you want to take a further look and have a doctor investigate if there's something. What else? Yeah, exactly. Those would be the things. And then this abnormal pattern of hair, possibly. Those would probably be the main things. As you said, Ali, like it's not unusual for women to have menstrual irregularity. So it means that, again, it's a lot of people could have it. I think one of the important things when you read some of these articles I'll link to for doctors is they want to make sure that you're not missing something else that could be causing a problem, right? So whether it could be a tumor, whether it could be a thyroid problem. So they would say that if you think a woman has this, you'd want to do thyroid tests, what's called a serum prolactin, which is another hormone in the body, could be elevated in some tumors, and what's called a free androgen index. So basically, you can do the, a couple of blood tests to help calculate a free testosterone level. And you can look at it and see what the testosterone level should be in a woman at their age versus a man, and you can kind of decide. If you are suspicious, you should also do blood work looking for diabetes and prediabetes. So do what's called the hemoglobin A1C. We've talked about this before, the blood sugars, to see whether what's going on. And you, so they say usually you can make a diagnosis with just a careful history, physical examination, and basic lab testing. So you actually don't need to do the ultrasound to look at the polycystic ovaries. You wouldn't want to see how widespread the the cysts on the ovaries are? Good question. So you can do that because a polycystic ovary is defined as containing 12 or more follicles, which is these kind of cysts, or 25 or more using new ultrasound technology because ultrasound is better with, with new technology. And they can measure two to nine millimeters in diameter. But the thing is, polycystic ovaries meeting those parameters, so 12 or more measuring the 2 to 9 millimeters, can be found in as many as 62% of patients with normal ovulation. So you have to, again, start with the symptoms, right? You don't just want to go ultrasounding everybody for no reason. Do they have menstrual irregularities, infertility, or what we call anovulation, like they're not ovulating? Then you might follow it up with doing the ultrasound. And probably there's nothing wrong with doing the ultrasound to look for other causes, but you don't have to do it. And certainly you don't want to be ultrasounding everybody unless they have the symptoms, if you know what I'm saying. If you know what I'm saying, I do. What is the treatment? Can it be treated to the point of no longer existing or... Not really. Um, it's a good it. question. The first treatments are basically conservative things. So weight loss, like you cancel people on weight loss and increased exercise. And really that's obviously, you know, you want them to lose weight, but it's because of all the other medical effects. You really want to decrease the risk of diabetes. So I think people have to be really aware that they can have this increased risk of diabetes, you know, and in fact, there's evidence that people with PCOS might be at an increased risk for cardiovascular and cerebrovascular disease, so strokes and heart attacks. And if you look, some women with PCOS, they have elevated lipoprotein levels. So in other words, cholesterol, triglycerides, similar to men. So probably want to do the weight loss for diabetes to reduce your cardiovascular risk. If you have menstrual abnormalities and the hirsutism, which is the facial hair acne, usually they just say use a hormonal contraceptive, like the oral contraceptive pill. If you have the hair and it's not improving with an oral contraceptive pill, then you can use an androgen blocking agent to block the androgen receptors, and sometimes that helps at first. If it's infertility that's an issue, they would use a medicine called a clomiphene, which induces ovulation. And if you have symptoms of diabetes or prediabetes, then they often use metformin, which we've talked about before, is a, is a medicine that they use in type 2 diabetes. And uh, that can also sometimes improve the menstrual irregularities. 
And what about the cysts? Can you do anything about those at all? Well, you often don't necessarily have to because they often don't really cause a lot of symptoms. But there's a very interesting procedure you can do called laparoscopic ovarian drilling. Yeah, that sounds super invasive. Well, it's done laparoscopically. So laparoscopic means that we use the camera and you just do a couple of holes in the... I just know that if I have any procedure happening to me, I'd rather the word drilling was kept <laughs> out of it. I feel like that's a huge branding error on the part of uh, doctors right there. Yeah. What they do is they use like, again, my understanding, people should be a quite aware that I have no experience with this whatsoever, either as a patient or as a physician, obviously. So what they do is they use thermal ablation or heat and little spots on the ovary. And we don't actually know why it works. And you would only do this not to treat the cysts themselves, but if someone is uh, not ovulating and you want to try and improve that. So it is a bit strange in terms of why it works, because they think that the destruction of some of these ovarian follicles results in a decrease in androgen and causes an increase in what's called follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH, which will help to promote ovulation. So it's a bit strange that you're doing this kind of injury to the ovary in order to promote ovulation, but that's what people think works, and there is scientific evidence for it. So uh, that seems like it may be more of an extreme thing to do, and you try definitely all the other things first, just the weight loss, dietary modification, and maybe some of those medications before you go to it, but it's a possibility. All right. Well, huge buzzkill for our female listeners here, obviously, but better to know about it for people who don't. And yeah, good to you know share some options yeah. for what can be done. I think it might be an explanation for some people for like menstrual irregularities, infertility, other symptoms. But again, as you said, it's important to know, it's kind of like when we talked about sleep apnea. If it's putting you at risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, better to know so you can take steps to avoid it. So that's our episode for today. Let us know what you guys thought. Did you guys watch this Beckham documentary? Let us know what you guys thought about it. David Beckham, Victoria Beckham, etc. And PCOS, again, it's something that I didn't know was so common beforehand. So again, we definitely want to hear more similar topic suggestions. A bit of a note to our listeners, we're going to be taking a couple of weeks off for the holidays. So this episode is going to come out and then we'll have two weeks off and we will be back the first week of January with a brand new year and new episodes of Doctor versus Comedian. In the meantime, reach out to us. As we said, the PCOS topic was suggested by a listener, drvcomedian, gmail.com, drvcomedian, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere. Ali, anything else to add? No, I'll be in and around Toronto doing some comedy over the holidays. If you live in the GTA, you can check out my website to find more information about that. But just wanted to wish everybody a wonderful, restful, peaceful holidays. Hope you get everything you want over the next Absolutely. few weeks. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, happy holidays to everyone. Definitely this time of year, peace on earth is what Ali and I are wishing for everyone. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Peace on earth. Bye.
Thank you.